This week, three sides of the coin. It's the life and death of KISS fanzines. With the founder and editor of KISS Dark Light and KISS Exciter. Very cool insight. This is Three Sides of the Coin. Talking all things KISS. I want to rock and roll all night. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Three Sides of the Coin. I'm one of your three co-hosts this week, Michael Branville. As always, we got Tommy Summers, Mark Cicchini. How you guys Woo-hoo. doing? Good. Real same good. old, same old. Mm-hmm. No tour news. No news about anything. There really isn't like any cool Kiss news at all. At all. But I must say, on Friday nights, Kyle and I have been doing the Kiss Happy Hour. And we've been having some really cool discussions. So if you guys are around and looking for something to do on a Friday night at seven o'clock central, please join us. It's a live thing, and we we take questions and and discuss. Uh, all kinds of topics. It's been great. Last week was fantastic. All kinds of really cool stories. You know, so I, join us. I, I also just want to kind of do a shout out. It's it's already over, but you could probably go watch it on the Monsters of Rock cruise channel. Izzy did an incredible show with his Ace Fraley tribute really band act. He, you know, yeah. so if you guys aren't aware and you definitely should go check this out, Monsters of Rock cruise, which, you know, has the big cruise, but you know, they don't know what's going on, you know, if it's going to happen this spring or not, um, has been doing live streams from Burbank for all of the bands you would expect to be playing. You know, they had L.A. Guns on there. They've had Bullet Boys. I just watched Little Caesar over the weekend. But a few days ago, well, by the time you listen to this, a week ago, they had ACT, Izzy's Ace Fraley tribute band, come on. And, you know, it's... Izzy singing lead, playing guitar, uh, drummer from Faster Pussycat, uh, I think uh, another guitarist from Faster Pussycat. Cool band, cool band. It was all Ace Fraley type kiss tunes, solo tunes, but it looked so cool. You got to go watch the video because the, the stage is, they're surrounded, it's a small stage, but it's wrapped entirely by like a big video screen. And the floor is a video screen. So it looks like a mini version of like a professional Kiss or Def Leppard concert. The You know, seeing this ginormous act logo, I'm like, that's pretty fucking cool, Izzy. Yeah. I mean, you're... you're I was impressed. You're, yeah, very shit. impressed. Now, I'm not going to talk about how Izzy sounded, <laughs> but it was just well, a would... fun, it was a fun show to watch. And, you know, definitely go, go. Go check the rebroadcast of it. It's probably up there on demand on the Facebook page. It's You'll love it if you're a KISS fan. Yeah. Hey, speaking of anybody in the Detroit area, I'm, uh, as you guys know, obviously Left 4 Dead is, is my band, but I also do a get-together with some local Detroit musicians, and uh, we had a couple shows that were postponed during uh, coronavirus uh but uh, from what I understand, we're going to be playing on the 22nd of August. So if you're in the Detroit area, uh, I'll have more information. I'll put it on the site. But uh, August 22nd, we're going to be doing uh, a whole night of Kiss music. And again, we just get together with a bunch of, of fellow uh, Detroit rockers. And, you know, we just crank out the Kiss tunes. It's 
you know, no makeup or show or anything. We just, and uh, every time this will be our eighth or ninth annual one and get there early is all I can tell you. We pack that freaking place and it's small to begin with. So um, August 22nd, we're going to be doing that. And while I'm running my gums, a past guest of ours, the latest Metal Church. Steve Unger from Metal Church. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, double vinyl, very, very, very happy to add this to my collection. Steve, thank you. Although, I mean, I paid for it, bought it and everything, but I'm just happy that my favorite bands are still putting out, you know, music. So, well, hopefully they'll get back out of the road sooner rather than later. I, I don't know about you guys. I just had this talk with a friend of mine today, but, um, I just so miss, you know, it's such first world problems, but damn it, I miss fucking sports, and damn it, I miss going to fucking concerts. I mean, you really realize how much you love, and I mean with a capital L, love this stuff, you know? Well, I thought they were going to start baseball. What the hell happened? Uh, what happened is I think they basically just closed down all of spring training because right. so many people, either on the teams or the players, were getting diagnosed. Right. So then, but then where does it leave them now? Because here we are almost to July. I, I was just having this talk with a friend yesterday about baseball and football and NHL. It's just like, man, again, it would be, I want it back so we can watch it. I just feel like they're going to start up and then a week later, they're going to shut it all down again and kill the season because it's still out of control. I, you know. Same thing with shows. I'm just, you know, concerns me that, okay, it sucks we've waited this long, but if we don't do it right, we could be waiting even longer because we open up, start doing concerts and live shows, and then, you know, I've already seen in Texas and Nashville some bars are being forced to shut down because they're not following the rules, the regulations. And I, I even read an article out of Canada and this is goes back to, or not goes back to, but is related to something we talk about with our guests, how fans don't understand the business because a bar up in Canada was ready to reopen, but their liability insurance was going to be so goddamn expensive that it would put them out of business. So they were able to negotiate their new liability insurance to only be a three-time increase. Jesus. He goes, well, no, I can survive, was... it'll be tough, but, that you know, that's the thing. Every one of these venues, establishments, businesses, leagues, has to have insurance. Right. And it's going through the roof because it's pretty risky. Well, and I, but I, I guess when I said baseball, that part I understand. I was thinking just baseball, I'd heard that at one point they were going to play games without a crowd. I, they're all art. NHL is going to do the same thing baseball is they're just there's fine. whispers of that uh in the nfl too yeah. that they would I, I you know what i again you know i as i said a few minutes ago um you know we got asked to play and i'm, I'm gonna play I, I can't wait to get on the stage again and play and we'll see what you know i'm gonna i'm gonna yeah. see what happens I, you know, you know, I, I, again, this, this whole thing is just, 
it just seems to be in flux and there's so much information and disinformation and um you know i again i'm this isn't the time or place to talk about it but uh, no i was just like i just want to see i'm just i would love for we all want to get we, we all just want to get out and start doing stuff yeah that's, that's, that's all it is i want to be able to travel i want to be able to do these things i don't mean to sound selfish and i've been reading a lot of different medical things they said that they're getting close on some type of antibodies and some things so i mean there's some forward progress it's just i know like you said it's first world problems it's just I, it, it cuts at the core of my being you know i guess that was the point i was trying to make I, you know you it's 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 no different than uh, than mr Kiefer saying you don't know what you got till it's gone yeah. i mean um, you know you really start realizing just how much how important certain things are to your life because you know the three of us while we all enjoy a, a good pint of ale or something we're not drunks or druggies or anything. What do we get off? We love music. We love, you know, live performances. That that's my drug. That's that's the thing that is always without verbalizing it made life, you know, part of, you know, made a good chunk of what makes your life so much fun and, and you know, getting into the mix and rocking and rolling and and yes. having fun. And, and you know, even you know, even with my band Left for Dead, I mean, we, we put our record out and everything, and I can't remember ever putting a record out not having a record release show. Yeah. Right. It's the craziest thing, because you work so hard to get a record out, and the payoff is always that first gig that you play the record start to finish, and, you know, we used to give our stuff out at our shows, and it was always, you know, very, it was just a lot of fun, and now it's like, you know, it's been a lot of fun and it's cool and everything. And but I miss that live person to person exchange. You know what I mean? And uh, I'm just hoping it'll come back sooner rather than later. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right now we're scheduled to play on the set 22nd, and uh, we'll see what happens. I, I, but, I, you know, from speaking from the business side, I think you'll see more smaller venues like where you're going to play mark opening up because first of all there's not going to be ten thousand people there's not going to be a thousand people right. it's smaller it can be managed you know it's a one-off thing for you so you're not concerned about having to book 12 shows to make sure you cover your costs while you're on tour where it impacts are you know the metal churches as example of the world who can't just fly to Detroit because they can do a show there, but then they can't do any more shows around there because of different restrictions. So they just don't tour at all. I mean, you know, the the stadium tour, Motley Crue and Def Leppard, totally pushed back until summer of next year. Right. So I think you'll see the smaller one-offs starting to happen, but the you know the the big events, the Kiss tour. It's not, those those types of things just are not going to happen until it's completely under control, right? And you know, no, and, and part part part. Yeah, I think it's two things. Some of those bands, like Gene and Paul, have both said they're not going to go do this until there's a vaccine. You know, let's be honest; those guys are in that age range that are much more susceptible to this. Um, right. So why risk it? 
but then financially it could cost a lot more to go back out on the road. Right. Insurance, precautions you've got to take, all of that. Yeah. Oh, and that all makes sense. It just, I'm just wanting to be hopeful. Well, I tell you what, I, I am one of those people. I am just, I, and I'm a news junkie. And I'm, when I say news junkie, I'm talking a news junkie for the last five to six days. I told my, I said, I, I'm watching no news, none. I am now, when I need to think I need to know something, I'll look it up. I'm, I'm just done. I, I, I just think it's more of a psychological sort of thing. I'm just tired of the same thing every motherfucking day. So I've tried to change. It's almost like changing your diet to a degree, mm-hmm. you know. And I've I found um, a little Men- more mentally happier. you're a happy wrong, person. I'm a very happy person. Yeah, a very happy person. But I tell you what, I I again when you're seeing the same shit every day, I'm like you know I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a little break from this and. For what it's worth, I, I, I would recommend it. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah. you know. I mean, um, you, know, you know, I don't know if you've seen, but what I've been doing for the last week or so is digging deep into my music collection and playing you know, Michael, deep stuff. You, we didn't talk, but there's something I want to share. Maybe we'll do it next week. Because all kidding aside, I do want. Let's get to our guest. Because I got Mark's got to eat. Yeah. Oh yeah. We're we're one minute away from wings being warm. So all right, Mark. Why don't you do uh, tease everybody who who who's got who's coming up here? Today we have the founder of both the Kiss Exciter and Kiss Darklight fanzines out of London, Ontario. Um, Also did the first Kiss. expo in uh in london ontario and one that hell when liz was just my girlfriend we went to we went up to london when you were still making out with women at a ted nugent show nice nice exactly (laughs) but uh yeah my dear friend greg ortbach uh he is our guest today and he has some great very personal interactions with the band kiss um Ran again, ran a couple fanzines and uh, uh, expos, and he was really one of those people that was at the epicenter of when just us crazy Kiss fans were the only ones who cared. It wasn't. He, he, he kind of shares the story of the life and death of fanzines. Yes. Yeah. How it started and how it ended. And for those of you who is like, there's not enough Kiss talk. Well, hang on to your hats. Today is all Kiss talk. So. You'll dig it. Yeah. So without any further ado, my good friend, Greg Orkbach.
Want to get your official Three Sides of the Coin logo and Shocker tee? Now you can. We ship worldwide. Get yours online at shop.threesidesofthecoin.com. Hey, Three Sides fans. Uh, welcome back to uh, another edition of Three Sides of the Coin. Very, very, very excited to have a dear friend of mine, huge KISS fan, and he's going to share his stories. Mr. Greg Ortbach, welcome to the show. Fantastic to be here. I met Greg years ago going to the KISS Expo in London, and he also was uh, had the Dark Light fanzine out of London, Ontario, and uh, right now... Um, Tell us a little bit about how you how all this craziness started. So, you know, it's funny. My my beginnings in history and in Kiss fandom really were rooted in those campus craft posters. The kid that lived across the street from me had uh, that Dynasty one hanging on the outside of his wall, which I'm not sure how he talked his parents into that one. By the way, so, by the way, just so you guys know, campus craft. I do this for all the young viewers because they're like, huh? And, and you know what? We get some nice thank yous for it, too, every now and then. Campus Craft was the Canadian company that put out KISS posters that were re- they're really collectible now, super collectible. And, yes, I have all of them. Um, <laughs> oh, Tommy. Oh, that, Tommy's muted. Right? There we go. So, He's anyways. Uh, that Tight, is tighten it up there, Tommy. Poster. Tighten it up. <laughs> so, anyways, you he had all the Canadian didn't. posters. Usually he leads into, like, his awesomeness. So he caught me off guard. Okay, <laughs> go ahead. Sorry. So go ahead with the so, campus craft. Uh, yeah, so over. so I saw, the, you know, I saw this band, and I, I didn't know anything about it. And then I talked to my uh, my buddy. And, How and, old were uh, you, and, and, and what year was this? So this would have been probably 70, 79. Okay, and how old were you then? Eight years old. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that was my first kind of exposure and uh, discovering all the albums. And my parents were really, really cool about that because they had lots of friends and their friends were a little bit older. I have an older brother, six years older than I am. So he had already gone through that and he was really into more progressive, the rushes and uh, Jethro Tull and stuff like that. So he wasn't getting anywhere near Kiss, but he was cool enough to kind of you know, start me off with, with an album. But for me, there I just remember there was Christmas of 1980. I was getting into Kiss. And, uh, well, that's you know, a rough think, time. That's a rough time to get into Kiss. <laughs> well, you know, as a, as a kid though, um, yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of like a legend. Right. Uh, there were still some kids that were into it. Um, but I wasn't really into the pop culture cause I was, I think still young enough. So there were kids, you know, every, uh, Every Halloween, one kid would show up as Gene Simmons in tinfoil. You're obligatory. Yep. And, um, yeah, yeah I saw, so I saw, <laughs> saw these, these visual, visuals and these posters and started to get to know the music. And then when that, um, that Christmas rolled around, I think my mom gave a neighbor 15 bucks or her, her friend's kid for, I think it was Originals, Alive 1, Alive 2, Double Platinum. Like, it was a stack and from that moment on, I was pretty much just hook, line, and sinker. So I, re- I remember a lot of that stuff now that's collectible. I remember going down to 
Kmart and seeing it and uh, and buying it or that's, you know that, passing. That's, on that's it. pretty cool that the first albums you got by Kiss was a stack of them. Like you know, I think at least for me and a lot of people, you got one album. And then you were like saving money desperately to get one more and then get one more. And, oh, my God, Christmas is here. Grandma, can you get me this album? And Aunt and Uncle, can you get me that album? You know, it it, it could take you years to accumulate a half a dozen albums. You got them like all at once. That had to be so cool because all of a sudden it's like I'm done listening to this one. I can go right into the next one and listen to it. Absolutely. And I remember, you know, I was captivated with the cover of Alive 2, like most kids. But um, but I didn't know the difference between Alive 1 and Alive 2. So I would always say to my Alive 2 is the better of the two albums. Yeah. (laughs) That was a gift. I hope you understand. (laughs) Um, And I remember saying to a buddy, make sure you bring Alive. You know, make sure you bring Alive. And um, of course, he brought Alive, not Alive 2. And so... There, there were these moments, but they were, you know, they were really, really definitive moments. And I remember I started buying newer stuff around 1980 and I stayed with my grandma, very, very traditional German lady, just a wonderful lady. And I remember I stayed with her in the summer of 1980. And so I would, she would just kind of let me go and, and check out downtown in this small town. And I saw the, um, the Shandy seven inch single. So I bought that. I hadn't heard anything from the album and, um, we would walk around and we, we went to a store in that store. They had um, started those discount cut corner albums. And so I had asked her for one of the ones that I hadn't had up to that point. I think it may have been destroyer. And she just said, Oh, Greg, if you don't have any kiss albums, okay, maybe do you have any? I said, yeah, I do. I do. Nana. She said, well, how many I said, oh, I think probably 11. Oh, no. So she she passed. She wouldn't buy the album. You don't need but, any more. <laughs> that's it. You have enough, Peter. So it was um so I I mean it, it, you know for for as tough as that was a time to be getting into the band, a lot of people were kind of just getting out of it or and there was just so much stuff out there in people's basements, in people's collections. Um people with magazines and I you know I'll never forget there were kids that would be, "Hey, uh, I've got a bunch of posters, you know, throw me 10 bucks, throw me 15 bucks. And I remember once I met a guy on a bike and he had a bag filled with posters and it was pretty much all the campus crafts, you know, for 15 bucks. Like it was craziness when you think about how oversaturated it was even then for a smaller market yeah. like Canada. So let me, so let, I, let, let me, let me ask you because, you know, you're, you're getting into them like 1980. And obviously now as we look back, that was when Kiss was like, going down and going down fast and things were changing did you have any when you like listen to shandy and you listen to unmasked compared to alive 2 and alive and the earlier albums you had did you have any thought of oh this isn't quite as good this isn't quite as cool or did it not matter at all it didn't matter at all because i was still a sponge kind of really understanding what the catalog was and i didn't even know what i was really missing you know, there wasn't this definitive reference point to go, cool, here are all the albums in chronological order, unless you were buying new magazines and stuff like that. So I was getting a sense of it, but I'll remember, you know, my my younger brother bought the Peter Chris solo album. And I mean, we love, to this day, we love that album. Because that was the first, Oh, look I think, at prob- the time. Look at the time. <laughs> <laughs> See, I like it. 
you know, and I'm thinking that was maybe our first exposure to a brand new album. But it, but everything at that time, you know, you can get into the solo albums for 99 cents a pop with the posters and with all that stuff. And anywhere you went, like I remember buying those from Canadian Tire, which is it started as an automotive store in a garage. And now it's more of a like a loose department store. But um, but, you know, you could get that stuff everywhere because it was discounted. You couldn't go into the mall. Um, without passing those discount bins. I'm, I'm glad you have that memory. In 79, I started living in Windsor. And I remember going to Zeller's just to get candy and stuff. And I'm like, holy sh! I'll never forget this as long as I live. They had, and when I say a stack of Kiss Mego dolls, I'm talking like they must have had 500 of these freaking things. On this huge display. I'll never forget that. This would have been in the fall of 79. And and I walk into Zellers and they got and you're absolutely right. The the, the solo records are like a buck a piece. And I remember running to the kiss sack. Of course, I already had all this stuff, but like in Michigan, I don't remember seeing Kiss that I mean, then I did like the years previous. But by 79 going into 80, hell, the fucking record stores didn't even, you know. You know, I, I remember, and I don't know, Tommy, you might remember this. Remember um, in Bloomington where Great American Music used to be? It used to be a Zares. Yeah. And Zares was going out of business. And I remember walk, going in there and going down, I don't, you know, one of the aisles. And it was just filled with. Kiss Mego dolls and all sorts of Kiss seventies merch that was like yeah. being blown out at just like dirt. I mean, nowadays today, if you saw that, you'd you'd crap your pants, and you know, Mark would be like, "I'm buying the entire store." My, Michael, my my Kiss um, makeup kit, which is still sealed, Tommy, which is still sealed, um, still has a ninety nine cent sticker on it from i think it's kmart you know i never took the sticker yeah. 99 cents i remember that. woolworths had yep. this huge oh filled with the mego mego dolls for i don't know probably two bucks a piece or something like that dirt cheap well and, and to give you an idea so i mean that was a pretty a pretty cool time because even in like we had a grade uh i'm thinking it was grade four or grade five textbook called starting points in math. And in the textbook, one of the math situations was somebody that was buying some posters and the poster was kiss 81. Oh, that's cool. And the, you know, the picture was in it. And so, um, you know, I want to say because of that oversaturation, it was still kind of mainstream. If you weren't a music fan, you know, and you came in through, either the comic stream or just discovering all of this or an older brother, that type of thing. I don't think it was really on our radar that there was trouble in paradise. Like, cause I, I remember no, when the elder no. commercial aired, you know, the elder commercial on television. And I remember trying to rush home to see them on solid gold. And it was funny because when they were introduced by Andy Gibb and they said, singing their solid gold hit called I, I didn't even know that song was on the album for the name I, because it, kind of blended in the artwork so i knew the song, i i, 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 rem I remember i was more embarrassed that it's like oh god it's andy gibb 
not 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 that not that Kiss had cut their hair and didn't have platforms and it wasn't a metal album. I was like, oh God, it's Andy Gibb. It, but it also wasn't surprising to see all of the Kiss stuff for sale like that because I remember seeing Star Wars and Dune and all these other uh, things that had kind of had their run clearing stuff out dirt cheap. Yeah, I mean when 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 I I bought a couple. I remember buying a Gene Simmons Mego doll at Zares, but I only had so much money, and I also bought like a Battlestar Galactica model kit and a Buck Rogers model kit. You know, yeah. and it, it wasn't being blown out because Kiss or Battlestar Galactica sucked at the time. It was being blown out because the department store was going out of business, and they had to clear their shelves out. And yeah. you know, and I've and I've shared this before. I mean. I kind of like you. I really I got my first Kiss album in 76, but I didn't really get crazy until 78, 79 for sure. And it didn't matter to me that Kiss was going disco and with Dynasty and that Unmasked was all pop. You know, okay, it wasn't I didn't fall in love with those albums, but it didn't matter. It just didn't matter. It was more kiss, new kiss. I was just like, keep it coming, keep it coming. Right. And, there, and there was something to me, there was something really cool about the fact that I was definitely an outsider now. By 79 and 80, if you were waving the kiss flag, you were an outsider. You were not part of the cool crowd anymore. And it's sort of like, F you. I'm, I'm sticking strong to what I love. And you can go off and be the Rush fan and, and be the Deep Purple fan and, you know, be a fan of the Pretenders or, you know, whoever else was the new new stuff that was coming up. It was just like, nope, I'm sticking to Kiss. Good, bad, it doesn't matter. And, you know, this all leads to what Mark's, Mark started here for us is, fuck you, we won. We, well, we sat through all that and we won because they're still here. Right. And the funny part for me was every time Kiss kind of evolved or followed and changed the palette, like I would use that to try and sell the Kiss concept to my parents. You know, when Odyssey and stuff like that came out in the El in the Elder and, you know, I would say, hey, listen, you know, what do you think of this song? Because I was always trying to get that approval because they were really like, they again, very supportive, but not their cup of tea. Well, well, how about this oh, one? Yeah. You know, and I was made for love with you. And then, how about this one? They've got a softer edge now. And so I, I find that kind of interesting. That because um, my dad always said, "Oh, you know, there'll be a time when you can't believe you ever even liked this band." My parents are the same way. <laughs> yeah, I just and, think and it's I, cool that you could share that with your parents because although my my parents were super cool and supportive, they, you know, Kiss just that wasn't even in their their wheelhouse but you know one thing craig that 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 we uh greg that we both happened was they made us into musicians they're wanting to learn to to get it i just wanted to be in a as soon as i got into kiss i knew i i'm like that i want to be in a band you know what i mean and i i have to learn how to how to play and when i was 13 i started playing guitar but i got these fat little fingers that don't wrap around the neck really well so then i switched to drums and you know they wrap around other things just fine mark 
Nice, nice. No, but that's that's the same thing, um, you know. So I, I tell you what, we've we've hijacked the story enough. Let's get back to growing up in London, Ontario, and getting into Kiss and how look those conventions were great back then. So, but there's so many, there's such a story before that. So let's get yeah. back. Let's get back into that. All right. So, so for me, that continued, I, I, I followed them. Um, it started getting a little more intense in terms of the fandom. And like I said, there was always lots of stuff to be able to, to be had in attics and basements and that type of thing. So I remember Asylum came out, and that was one of the first albums that I ever bought, like on the day it was released. And it took it took that much time, actually, you know, um, for there to be enough of a vibe locally. And that was the year I was going to see Kiss for the first time. So I got on one of those um, those bus tours and went down with a buddy. And I remember, you know, my my dad met me when the bus pulled in around 2 a.m. after Maple Leaf Gardens. And he just said, okay, well, now you've done it. You know, you've, you've reached the pinnacle. You've seen them live. You're done. Go on and You're start done, yeah. listening to Barry Manilow now, son. Right. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now you can put that by. And, and so it was funny because that was just the, um, obviously just the beginning, but there wasn't stuff out there, you know, um, like Kiss was everywhere, but if you wanted to find out what was happening, there really wasn't a way to do that. And I didn't get synced into that until i think it was goldmine magazine i saw this tiny little ad for um it was the cleveland kiss expo and it was a richie rano show Mm -hmm. i was there and i had never even heard of the concept like what is a kiss convention so my mom said hey we're gonna fly down there you and i'll spend the you know the weekend together and we did we flew to you know, to that Cleveland show. And I was just, I mean, at that point, then it all, it all just, you know, hit home. I mean, the, the videos and all that stuff from the seventies, all those things that I, you know, I bought some of those magazines when they were new and you remember you'd look in the back of um, circus and there'd be pen pals and stuff like that. And like the guy from Bay city, Michigan, who may have some bootleg video and stuff like that. Like it was so grassroots. So all of a sudden, you know, you find out you go from being that outcast or that weirdo to a whole room filled yep. with people. And then you're seeing, you know, the the actual stage pieces. And that was my first exposure to the costumes and stuff like that. And I remember thinking at that moment, you know, because it was 1987, I believe. Um, why isn't this happening anywhere else like Canada? You know, as I looked around and saw what was going on. It seemed to me that that wouldn't be that hard to pull off, um, and I and I I believed that there was a crowd. So what did you, what? So was that your impetus to put one together? Did you start putting a, a convention together? Yeah. So so um, yeah. So I thought that that in in theory would work, and because I had gotten to know some of the Kiss dealers at record shows and stuff like that, you know. Um, I, I had a bit of a baseline of how that might work. So that was just an idea that was planted. Um, and I wasn't quite sure how to make it happen. I didn't know what the steps would be. And then there was a bit of a, you know, a twist of fate as there often is in Kiss World. Well, let, 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 let me ask you, because this brings up, you know, I wasn't even thinking of this discussion, but there's always, even now, nowadays, there's always fans going, 
geez, somebody needs to put on a KISS convention in cert city name. They, you know, I live here. Somebody, why, why can't Keith LaRue come here and do that? Why can't Richie Rano come here and do it? And, you know, the answer I always give back is um, you do it. These are 100% fans organizing and putting it on. It's not a 365-day-a-year business that these guys are doing. They just are like, okay, we're going to do one on this weekend, and let's start promoting it. What did you learn putting that on that you had no idea about? Like, absolutely everything. So so the way it came about was... um, there was a Kiss tribute band playing uh, in one of the bars in town. And I mean, I was very much underage. Um, and this band at the time, I think they were called Destroyer. And I was already kind of into buying merchandise. So I had a business card and it said Go Enterprises, which was my initials, and uh, buying Kiss merchandise. So I saw this band and I gave one of the band members the business card. And of course, they went on playing all these little clubs they ended up in brockville ontario which is on the way to kingston like pretty close to kingston ontario and unbeknownst to me there was a kiss fan club there called the emergency task force run by a guy named dan savoie who went on actually he's a he's a journalist now and he does a lot of um he's done a lot of really cool interviews and we reconnected recently on facebook we'll get to that after the big the big re uh, reunion between it wasn't the kiss reunion for me it was like me getting back into the kiss fandom because i had kind of left for a while but um but yeah sure enough this guy said hey you should call this guy in london he gave me his business card so i got a call from this guy five hours up the road or whatever saying hey you know like tell me about go enterprises like what do you do what are you doing with kiss? And so we had this conversation and yeah, he had a fanzine and he had interviewed the band, which to me was just incredible. Like I had never talked to somebody that had talked to the band and um, we made plans to meet on the next tour, which was crazy nights. And Dan's the guy that actually arranged to me to have a, a photo pass um, on the crazy nights tour. Wow. I am not a photographer. <laughs> so I didn't even have the right equipment. And it's funny because I had a recorder because we thought, well, if we're going to go backstage, maybe we'll be able to get some kind of an ID from uh, a band member or what have you. The thing was so rushed at Maple Leaf Gardens that there was no time to even check in anything. So I had this cassette recorder around my shoulder and then a jean jacket or something over top. We get whisked in to go backstage and there in front of me is John Hart. And I've, you know, I, my mind is already blown because this is now taking this is this is getting real. And John Hart <laughs> was very, very aggressive. I mean, I just remember the mitts coming toward me, you know, saying you back up. Oh, he says, I see you've got a camera. And if you take that camera out, I'm going to destroy it and I'm going to kick you out. No problem. <laughs> and so I, I wanted to meet Gene. Still where you stand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, yeah. It was not ambiguous. So I always wanted to meet Gene. Gene was always my favorite. He was the one I identified with. And getting back to your earlier question, Michael, that idea of, well, why not do a convention or all of that? That was all cues that I picked up as a kid from Gene. You know what I mean? Yeah. He was always very entrepreneurial. He just always do it. If you want to do it, just do it. Yeah. So I always looked at life and, and, and I still do as why not? 
as opposed to, you know, the why or the how. Right. So anyway, I'm backstage. And first person that came was uh, Eric came out and I've got my Crazy Nights album. And I, you know, I went out and bought one of those silver pens. And I'm like, Eric, you know, it's so good to meet you. You know, can you sign this? And the pen wouldn't work. <sighs> so here I am in front, of, you know, I... <sighs> And he's trying, and he's trying to remain patient, but he's getting a little frustrated. And I, can, you know, I, I'm, can, I, can I interrupt you just for one second? This is a great lesson for everybody. If you're going somewhere to have something signed, test your pen before you get there. And bring a backup still. Bring and a bring backup back, pen. Yes. Bring a backup. I don't know if I could afford it back in. Those gel pens were like eight bucks. <laughs> True. So... So anyway, he got a little bit frustrated and he tried a few times. And uh, I think either on the front or the back, that was done. Then I met Bruce, which was fantastic. And then Paul came out and it was amazing. And and uh, so there's Paul. But I never did get a chance to meet Gene because Gene was always just kind of rushed. And so I was a little bummed out. But um, but that happened. And, you know, at that point, I remember talking about, and I can't even think of the interview. Someone will remember. Um, but Gene said, you know, it may have been 2020 or, or something where he was talking about how there's certain fans that are kind of like in that inner circle that they bounce these ideas off of. Um, I wanted to be one of those fans. I wanted to be in that inner circle uh, or figure out a way to have some kind of a, of a relationship um, just to get to know them better, which was weird. Like, I don't know why. It's not like I was feeling that way for any other bands that were out there. Um, but there was something about, I just, I really, really identified with them and, um, and I wanted to get to know them as people, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Cause I always felt like they were one of the, uh, they weren't untouchable. They were accessible somehow. Yeah. They're not didn't like know the how. <laughs> yeah. Didn't quite know how. So, so from there, um, I, I worked with Dan a little bit on his fanzine and then, you know, this idea came up of this convention. And so we decided uh, do one in London and I would do all the legwork, et cetera. And he would leverage some of his connections and um, <laughs> never forget. So the first thing I did was order a hundred Kiss Emergency Task Force t-shirts, had them screen printed. And this is obviously before digital. So rubber cement days, you know, where you're drawing by hand and then you're um, getting the artwork in. And I mean, that was a big expenditure, a hundred t-shirts. And I had those for years. And it was my mom, I think, that invested in that venture. And we just sold them to try and generate a little bit of capital to do what we wanted to do. And Dan leveraged his contacts. And um, it was right around the time when the Vinnie Vincent invasion, because now we're getting into the summer of 88. Vinnie Vincent invasion is launching and um, the All Systems Go is about to come out. So we were able to, as this convention plan started coming together, uh, do some prizes. And one of the prizes was a call with Mark Slaughter. Um, he had some connections with Polly Graham in Toronto. So they sent us over a Dynasty Gold Album Award that we could display on the KISS Museum. And there were some dealers that were some pretty cool dealers that... Um, that also had some interesting stuff. So I remember most of we did a museum setup, and I had always believed, and this is something I learned from Kiss, and and from what I, um, I'm sure you'll identify with, Michael, you give a little more, or you give a lot more. There's those surprises that make those shows cool. So I knew that whenever there was going to be a show, one, I wanted it to be super accessible and affordable, and I always wanted there to be something extra 
if it was a program or a good looking ticket or some kind of a keepsake, because that's how, you know, I learned from the best. Mm -hmm. Not profitable, by the way, not a profitable approach, you know, because you need you need the people. Yeah. But that first show was interesting. So I went and I rented the lower level of Centennial Hall, which is where Kiss did that show with Rush in 1974. And I thought, like, this is hallowed ground. Here I am renting the place that Kiss played way back when. And I had never met um, Nick Panasico. I had heard the name. I, it wasn't even that I heard the name. I heard the, the rumor. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, a friend of mine, his dad used to be Kiss's manager. And I mean, I knew my history. I'm like, oh, no. That was Bill Coin. Ex- explain who he I mean, I know who he is. These guys know. Explain who Nick is. Yeah. So I learned later that Nick was the guy working for uh, Quality Records in the 70s who they were looking for records was Kiss's distributor in In Canada. Canada. Correct. Yes. Again, for the younger fans. No, I appreciate, I actually really, really appreciate you doing that because I haven't been out of this room in about 20 years, so I forget. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it looks Uh, like the thing you need, so why would you go? That's right. Uh, well, and now you can order food, you know, just gets yeah. dropped off like the Hunger Games without a parachute. It's perfect. Just feed me through the window. That's um, what Mark does every every time we record. There you go. <laughs> so, um, where were we? So Nick, you, you were talking about record. Nick. Yeah. So so Nick was a guy who um, in in the early 70s, early to mid 70s, was working for a radio station in Windsor. And they were looking for an act to kind of break in Canada. Um, and I think that led maybe to his to his gig with Quality Records. And so Kiss was one of these acts. And they'd only ever played Toronto, I think, on the Hotter Than Hell tour, if I'm not mistaken. So he said, OK, well, I'm going to promote a show in London. And he brought Kiss in. And he did that probably five times, you know, between um, 74 and I think the Love Gun tour was the last time. But they to this day, I talk to people that are a little bit older than me or that are in radio and they, they'll say, you know, it seemed like Kiss was here every eight months. And it's it's actually true. Like they, they were. And sometimes well, they were the, here. The and they Toronto had... show was early on the Kiss tour, the first tour, because they played yeah. with the New York Dolls. There's oh, video. That. That's right. OK. So, so I guess the earliest would have been the 74 show. Yes. In London. Yeah. And they did that a couple of times. Like one, there was a snowstorm because uh, they had played in Detroit, um, maybe Michigan Palace around the same time. But um, that was all before my time. But I had heard kind of that, oh, there was this guy. And, and, and um, so that was, that was intriguing to me. So when I did this, uh, this Kiss convention, I think I got a call from him. And he just said, hey, listen, you know, like I, I've, I've got some uh, some kiss memorabilia and I'd be happy to, you know, to, to show up. And, and so that's how I got to know um, Nick. And we're still friends to this day. And uh, so that part wasn't that hard. What was hard was the logistics and the cash. So after I booked this place and I was, you know, young, 16, maybe um, I, I booked this hall for about a thousand bucks and then maybe two or three weeks before the show. Um, I needed to arrange insurance, event insurance, you know, and there's no money coming in. You're not really doing advanced ticket sales, but I learned to go talking to um, all of the stores in town and a lot of the vinyl stores and the record stores 
you know, they were into it. Uh, they either had a, a table there or they would devote like a store window display uh, to promote the show and they'd sell tickets there. So it was a very grassroots thing. I mean, I do a lot of work in digital marketing now, but I remember the grassroots way, you know, wh whenever there was a show, it could have even been with another band, we'd be flyering, we'd be handing out those flyers, making sure that they were in shop windows and stuff like that. So, um, so the show, you know, happened, I was lucky. Um, like I, again, when you're young, you don't look at what the obstacles are. So I remember I tried to get a, uh, some promo on uh, the TV station and they weren't interested. So I, painted myself up like Gene, uh, talked to somebody else who's a big collector who had platform boots from the 70s, put those on and drove down there in my Ford Tempo and walked in like that, you know, and made a statement. And then, okay, well, you know, we'll cover the event. And, you know, for the most part, everybody was open to having a conversation. And at that time, it had been 10 years since they were in their heyday. But I kind of felt like I was this unofficial ambassador just preaching the word because there was no one else really doing it locally and other than things like goldmine which is funny too you put an ad in for a kiss convention you hold your breath and you don't really know what to expect so i was i was lucky you know i was lucky that i wasn't afraid to knock on doors and make phone calls and um, the record label was usually pretty receptive about sending giveaway items and stuff like that so that first show happened, and I think it was maybe 190 people showed up. Well, and also, too, you know, I used to promote some record shows here in Minneapolis. And to Michael's point earlier, it's not as easy. It's, it's hard enough to do in your own area, right? But to think about going to a city that's 10 hours or five hours away that's why people don't just go everywhere because it's it's twice as much work if you don't even know the area. You At don't least live there. Yeah. And I just think some fans, they just don't think it through when they say these things because they don't realize how much work goes into it. And you're showing that right now by saying, look, the first one, 190 people, you know. Yeah. I, I, and I think the big thing that fans don't realize is all of the unsexy stuff that has to go into putting on that event. Like you brought up, oh, all of a sudden I've got to get an event insurance. You've never done this before. What the hell is event insurance? Who do I call? How am I? And then, as you said, how do I pay for all of this stuff in advance when you're counting on the ticket sales and everything the day of? It thrusts you into doesn't matter whether that you're a kid and it's fun and it's kiss, it's a business, and the people that are you're contracting with don't give a rat's ass who you are or what the event is. You got to pay them for what was contracted, That's security right. or vend, you know, food and whatever, and you know. That's what fans don't understand. It's not just as simple as hey, I'm going to call the Holiday Inn and see if they got a ballroom available in three months. You do great. I'll take it. And that's that's you know that's not it. Right. Yeah. Well, and those, that, those conventions, you know, the you know, your conventions were very 
fan friendly for buying stuff, and that's the bit, one of the big differences between the older expos, um, even you know, even the new, old older New York ones, the bigger ones. They were very much more geared towards getting that vinyl, getting that doll, getting that. Today's are more entertainment driven because, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your viewpoint. You can get whatever you're looking for on eBay. Why drive to London? Why drive to Toronto? Why? I can just click my mouse a couple times. But that's the difference. And it's funny, you know, doing that legwork, making sure the record stores, you know, the, the records on wheels or the, you know, they were there, to, you know, they'd help you out because if they helped you out, it would help them out. Right. You, know, you, you couldn't do that now. Just, no. No, I mean, you would need a much more uh, compelling draw. I think that first show was a bit of a, I don't want to say a disaster, learning experience, because one of the things we thought we needed was there to be a band. We really thought that there needed to be, and it's funny, you know, at the time, the only band we could really come up with was the band that opened for Vinnie Vincent Invasion on that summer 88 tour right before the band imploded. So the band was, you know, this was a band called Antics, and they had a radio hit that they were trying to break. But that was it. I mean, that was the claim to fame was that this band opened for a guy that used to be in Kiss for the blink of an eye. And that piece of it cost so much money and so much additional money that really wasn't, it was unnecessary. We could have done that entire show without that and done just fine. Um, so that was a big learning curve for me. And I was really, really gun shy because I think I wound up losing maybe 1500 bucks or, or two grand on that first show. And, um, I didn't think I would ever do it again, but one of the dealers there, and you'll know the, um, there was a dealer from Vancouver, you know, so to, to put it into perspective, I mean, somebody traveled 4,000 you know, the other side of the country to be at this show, which was pretty cool. So what came out of that show was, um, uh, let's kind of rejig it and see how to do it. And, uh, and that next year there was a show in, um, Toronto and at that show in Toronto, Alive was booked to play. And it's funny because back then, I mean, I think about it now and it's kind of silly, but we were really on a quest to be the biggest Kiss fans. And it wasn't, always a friendly competition like i look back on it now and i'm good friends with everybody that's ever played in a live but i remember at the time it was kind of like we you know we didn't necessarily support one another and i don't for the life of me even now i don't know why that was um but but that was the case so um so yeah they didn't get booked at, at our show and um and then you know then the show started to get a little bit more of a feel and and um then the expenses were kind of reined in and stuff and by the time i did a second show it was 1990 that dealer from the uh from uh, the west coast said listen greg i like how you do what you do i understand you probably need capital so tell you what i'll put up the money you do all this the the, the legwork and we'll split everything down the middle that was at the Ramada, right? It was. Yeah, that was a real. That was a great. Liz and I went. As a matter of fact, we weren't even married yet. We. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Honeymoon sweet. <laughs> so, but and that was really like that was a cool show, and and I wanted to make sure that there was an experience, and you know, you made my day when you. I, I'm pretty sure it was indie, but 
you told me what it was like as a fan to go to those early shows. And awesome. I had, you know, I had never really experienced what that was like. Um, Cause I was always on the other end of it. I, I always wanted to see like, you know, same thing, that kiss philosophy. What would it, what would you want to see? What kind of a show would you want to go to? And I mean, it's crazy when I think about it now, I don't think the, I think the, the one year where I thought we were kind of getting out of control, it was seven bucks to get in. I, you know, I have, I, I don't know exactly what, hold on a second. I think I got one over here. But to Mark's point, you know, back then it was, you never even thought, okay, so there was guests and that was like the icing on the cake that Peter or Ace or someone was going to be at one of these. But you went because just the idea of seeing all of this merchandise you'd never seen before and actually being able to hold pieces of costumes was I've, just I've, I've, I've got mind blowing. These are these are this is the one. Ah yes, nineteen ninety four or three ninety two. This one's the ninety two. Oh, see, I don't even know my product. Look at that. <laughs> I, I've, I've got all of them. All of them that I went to. This is the one from ninety three. That one I remember. That turned out really nice. There was silver ink. Yeah, so I, I still have. Matter of fact, um, and I know I would. Uh, Greg was over at my house last summer, and I showed him a picture from when we saw Kiss at uh, on the on the end of the road tour. Liz wore my um, Kisteria London Expo shirt to the gig. <laughs> it's just cool that you know still had. Still have those, uh... Greg. Greg, so back back then, did you have any concerns of printing stuff and using the band's logo and their makeup? Did the band ever contact you about any of that stuff? Yeah. So there, there's an evolution that we kind of skipped over a little bit. So as the show was kind of doing its thing, in '89, I decided, okay, well, I want to do a fanzine because I, I was no longer after that after that convention um, where the money was lost. Kind of Dan and I sort of split ways and i i decided okay well i want to try my ha my hand at a fanzine and so dark light magazine was what i wanted to do and i i mean we were all inspired by ron uh, and and uh, fire firehouse firehouse like it just it was such a professional looking thing and i was starting to my eyes were starting to open to see what was out you know in, in some of these other uh, fanzines out there so so that was the format that i adopted and it was really interesting because i think the first issue was um probably right around I, I was getting it ready for the convention actually um for the convention maybe in uh, 80 uh, 88 89 and again to my parents credit like my dad took me down to his office and put me in the, the photocopy room and i sat there and i made and assembled 100 copies of this fanzine that may have been eight pages at the time now at the time Kiss was starting to get some momentum with the underground fan, fan press, and um, they decided to set up Kiss Central, mm -hmm. which was this you know one-stop shop in terms of fielding all of these rogue requests from guys like me and, and girls like me. Um, so, so that's where I met uh, Jilda. Mm -hmm. So it's kind okay. of interesting. I, I you know I I published one or two copies of the magazine. I would promote it, uh, promote it at the convention, etc. And it started to get a little bit of uh, momentum, not a ton, but I had a PO box, and I remember getting on the bus, riding the bus downtown, and then checking the PO box, and there was nothing there. And then getting back on the bus and going home, 
And one day I went on the bus and I open up and there's this letter with the Kiss logo embossed in the top left corner. And I lost my shit. (laughs) And, you know, I remember thinking, what if somebody in the band actually held this letter? I didn't even want to open it because I was freaking out. Because this was, you know... I'm what if Gene Simmons licked the stamp himself and it's got his spit on the envelope? Exactly. And <laughs> did he use the tongue to moisten the envelope flap? So I I really was, you know, I was quite blown away. So I remember sitting there and like that was a pinnacle. You know, doing a show was one thing, getting press, being recognized for the press. But I wasn't interested. I, like I didn't have an ego about that. I only ever used that to advance Kiss. And so it was kind of funny. Like, I don't know why, when I think back on it now, why that was my crusade, um, why that was so critical to me. But I've, um, I saved everything, which is really cool. So I have, you know, I've been discovering and digitizing, um, you know, 17-year-old me doing interviews on the radio, talking about why you need to care that Kiss was a big act in the 70s and that they played London so many times. And the fact that the band had kind of set something up, I thought was really, really cool because I knew if there was ever going to be a chance to interview somebody or get to know somebody, you know, this was going to be it. And I hit it off with uh, Jilda right away, started to talk to some more of the other fanzines. And I'm going to send you scans, right? But like, that's the letter. Woohoo! Whoa. You know? And Eric did sign in a pen, so it wasn't always my pen that was problematic for Mr. Carr. <laughs> but, um, you know, and, and this is an example. This logo was hand-drawn on, you know, that onion skin paper yep. by somebody that I met because I was cataloging my KISS convention on a typewriter. And I worked in a nightclub. And I took the printout of my KISS collection list and put it in the DJ booth, which was in the middle of this huge club. And somebody looked over and said, hey, what's that KISS thing? And we struck up a conversation. And that's the guy that wound up designing that logo. And he was involved uh, in some of these these KISS ex- uh, trips and stuff that we did. So, like, that's how you met people that, um, you know, you found out really quickly. It wasn't just the, the fans were out there, but it was so underground, which was what made it so cool. So th- those conventions, yes, there was merchandise. I had a very simple philosophy. If you set up at my show, everyone does well. And there was not – I set it up so that everybody would do well on their own in that um, you wouldn't really have a huge competition. If you specialized in one thing and someone else specialized in another, I would bring you in. People came from all over. Um, I think I charged 100 bucks a table. Like it was crazy. Yeah. What? What? Getting back to the letter, what did the letter say? Well, I can read it if you'd like. Okay, dear Greg, because of your organization's incredible support of the band, we are in the process of setting up KISS Central, an information center for all of the fan-run KISS publications. The sole purpose of KISS Central is to help you and your publication get the latest information on what is happening with the band. Your general contact at KISS Central is Jilda Caserta. Jilda will be kept fully up to date on what we're doing. She'll also be able to service you with press kits and photos as your needs require. We must emphasize the services only for your use, not to be printed in your publication or used by your general membership. We're excited about Kiss Central. We appreciate what you've done for us, and we feel Kiss Central will make your lives just that much easier. Thanks again for all your support, and have fun, because that's what it's all about. Best regards. 
And that was January 17th, 1989. Now, and, and you know, was, was part of the excitement like, oh, my God, I'm officially in with the KISS management. They know me. I've got a contact. They're going to give me information. And, you know, all of a sudden it's like, I can get press kits and I can get photos. Oh, my God. I mean, was that part of what was going through your head? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There, there was the idea of a little bit of validation, but it was really like, no, this is this is the big time now. Like, like let's this is this is awesome. And and yeah, I'm on I'm on someone's radar. That's cool. That's cool. That's very cool. So, did you have have you at some point did you get some feedback from the band directly about? your fanzine or conventions? Well, absolutely, yeah. So I, I wound up sending our publication to Gene directly. And, you know, one day I would go, I mean, it was great in those days because you'd go to the P.O. box and there would just be awesome stuff. And so I remember once there was a letter from Gene and it just, it was handwritten and it said, Dark Light, wow, you guys make us proud. One thing I've never seen before was a full bootleg collection. Any idea where I can buy a set? So, you know, just these these things. And um, uh, Bruce would do the same thing. Like Bruce would send a handful of pics. I always asked for these, eight, not eight, even eight by tens, but notes, handwritten stuff, because that was the stuff that really, really appealed to me. And they always, um, they were always cool to do that. And so as as the momentum came. Um, you know, and, and this resource was set up. I, I could, uh, I could kind of reach out and ask for things. Now, if you think about it, there was not a lot of touring happening in that at that time because we were waiting kind of for Hot in the Shade. But you know, prior to that, it was kind of the uh, the Smashes era, right? So I didn't have an in other than you know the photo pass, which was amazing and crazy nights. Was doing all of this stuff in '88, '89. Other pretty cool Kiss-related experiences at the same time, um, and then, um, then yeah, I, I remember getting a, a call saying, "Hey, uh, you can do an, an interview with Eric," and um, it's set up for an afternoon. You know, like when I'm at school. So I left school and I came home and I. <laughs> this is so old school, but. I had my older brother rig up a recording device for the telephone by taking the receiver off and hooking up a wire to it and being able to record the conversation. And yeah, I mean, I had a conversation with Eric Carr and we went deep into stuff. I was nervous, but, but we talked about things and they were always super cool. And because I was doing conventions and also doing the fanzines, I could ask for stuff and they were really, really cool to oblige. So to give you an example, I said, Eric, you know, we do this KISS museum. Is there anything you can send that we can kind of display? And he said, yeah. How about the gloves and a pair of sticks that I used on the album? And he sent them, and I have them. I mean, and it, you know, like, what are the chances this kid who discovers KISS because of a poster on somebody's wall and thought, wow, I'm completely captivated before I even heard a note of the music. And... A few short years later, I'm talking to the drummer, you know, like that was that was for me solidified everything that they always talked about. 
you know, follow your dreams. Yeah, this really was a magic time because look at the personal touch that the band put in for not just you. I mean, for for Ron and and everybody else who was running a fan. I mean, even people like Keith LaRue. I mean, that's where everybody came from. And and, and I always go back to that's how I met all you guys. Because right. I was going to the expos. I was, and it was such an, a, an incredible community, you know, because everybody loved the band so much. And, and I think I look back on those times, Greg, and I'm like, you know, it was so genuine because the world didn't care. I mean, there was no legacy bullshit. And it was like, we love Kiss and we don't care that they don't wear makeup anymore. We just love Kiss. They're our favorite band. And we're still here. And I don't know why I'm still here. I just am because I love it. And that goes on, you know, to this day for me. And that's that's the cool thing about meeting people like you back in the day, because you were just as freaking nutty about this. And and, and like you said, we found all these other people who were too, you yeah. know. So. Mike, your uh, your mic is off. There we go. Mark, when, at what point did you get involved with Dark Light? Who, me? Yeah, didn't you say you wrote for them? No, no, no. I, I wrote for another Kiss fan. Oh, okay. Fan. That's one thing I wanted to talk about, because the one that I wrote for was out of Hamilton, Ontario. Greg's was out of London. Ron's was on the West Coast. Vancouver. And then... You, you know what I mean? It was like Canada was so still kiss crazy or there was enough of us. You know what I mean? That it, it was like these fanzines. And I know I know you did, Greg. It was a lot of fanzines that you're mailing over to the United States. You know, yeah, what I mean? well, you know, yeah, I'm just saying I would take flyers for like American fanzines if I was going to the Toronto Kiss Expo or if I was going to the London Kiss Expo. And if I was going, you know, if I was at the London one, they're like, can you bring these, you know, to the Cleveland one or, do you know, you know what I mean? You know, it, it was just such a hands-on fan fun time. And it was all, again, it was all so freaking generic. And, and, and it was just all, everybody that was into Kiss was passionately into Kiss. There was right. there was none of this fucking fence sitting bullshit, and and I tell you what too, there was nobody that just went oh I just like the makeup years. There's nobody like that. Everyone was just like, you know, I may have not been crazy about the Crazy Nights era, but it was still my band. You know what I mean? I still went. I still was just as interested. I still bought the posters. I, you know what I mean? It was like, okay, yeah, I I like the heavier stuff better. You know, I like lick it up way more than I liked you know, crazy nice, but I, it was still kiss, you know? Well, yeah. And that, that's the thing, even the readers, like, so what would happen is because it was such a grassroots thing, the readers, the subscribers would want to carry that torch as well and to help advance things. So they would be saying, Hey, you know, let's, let's put a street team together or, you know, can we help promote at things that we're doing or we'll set up a booth here at a record show. Um, Patrick de Montigny is yeah, uh, I met. Yeah. So I, I met Patrick uh, through the fanzine because he subscribed and suddenly he is the Quebec office of, you know, of, of dark light. So dark light, it, it evolved because I didn't think quarterly was going to cut it, you know, four times a year. I thought we need to be a little more 
progressive because people want more information. Uh, and that's what I, I decided, you know, well, maybe I can go a little bit higher and, and do Kiss Exciter. And Kiss Exciter would be monthly because no one's doing monthly. There's a lot of practical and financial reasons why people aren't doing monthly. But, you know, if you if you look at the cost of doing a booklet format versus doing eight and a half by 14 folded, it's a lot cheaper to produce. And now that we have a lifeline to plug into the band, chances are we're going to have the ability to, to break stories. And so that was very, very exciting. It was a very um, natural progression. But then I remember uh, a, a point in time where even monthly wasn't enough. And of course, we're talking pre-internet. So then that morphed into a KISS hotline. And the KISS hotline would get plugged on much music. And I mean, in the early days, it really was quick, a- Much music is Canada's MTV. See, I just, I got to make sure the fans know what we're talking I, about. You know, I appreciate it. You're, you're like the interpreter in the corner. It doesn't matter <laughs> when I say kiss related, you you break it down for everybody. And I thank you for that. Well, there's some people who hate um, that about Mark. They do. But <laughs> too bad. It, I'm on the show. F you. Case for us for a while. There you go. Um, so it was funny because that was back when it was old school, you know, 60 second cassette recorder so i'll call it canada's mtv would plug you know the the kiss hotline they'd give out the number it was a local number it wasn't a 900 number i didn't have the foresight to be making money on it and then the phone would ring off the hook and the message would play and the band was cool the band did you know ids for it so you think of uh, a lot of uh, there's been some discussions recently about Kiss playing that double header with White Snake on the Hot yeah. in the Shade tour at the C&E. Well, I remember being backstage and saying, "Hey, you know, Eric, can you record a promo for the the Kiss Hotline?" And he said, "For sure." I mean, and he, I would just listen to it the other day. He was talking about, "Hey, we just kicked White Snake's ass, and you're listening to Kiss Exciter." So it kept getting, you know, more and more progressive and getting, and, and that was again, that was a labor of love. Other bands would do some messages on there as well. And um, the ultimate thrill for me, which you can maybe see in the background, that and it's kind of dim, but I was presented with an award for a live three, which just blew my mind. Uh, and when the album came out, all of the copies were stamped with Kiss Information Hotline. And they, they basically stickered it right in the plan. So I still have a brand new one in shrink and I have a sheet of those labels. And it's like, that's when I kind of thought, thought how cool is this? You know, this yeah, idea running, you know, and, um, and I had a, I had a lot of big ideas um, that I even had an audience with Polygram to be able to go pitch. So um, as things progressed and I was that much into it, um, like I was invited down to Polygram to listen to revenge before, well before it came out um, and had some really good, contacts there um real real simple question when you decided to go monthly from quarterly why did you change the name from dark light to exciter why didn't you just make dark light monthly yeah so they both ran uh, in tandem so how did you differentiate between the two then being so news went in did the same news go into both or did you try and you know point them in different directions here's both logos (laughs) right 
<laughs> yeah. Hey, there you go. Yeah. So, so with dark light, um, it was really more of a celebration of more in depth stuff. So I could, you know, if I was, I did some really cool interviews with Gene and, um, that format lent itself for more of a fan based feel. So we would do like a spotlight of kiss collectors and they would talk about their collection, um, or some of the big long interviews. Whereas, uh, when Kiss was on tour or they were releasing product, that uh, monthly format was a lot more conducive to that. So they didn't really overlap quite that way um, because they were they were just very, very different. And, and Darklight started to grow a little bit in terms of the, uh, the features that were in there, like artwork and stuff like that. Okay. Now, I, I got to imagine, so doing two magazines, one quarterly, one monthly – that was becoming a financial expense that had to be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the band at the time was pretty cool with how we would offset the cost of that um, with very, very small run limited type merchandise. So be it a T-shirt design, um, you know, like you'll see in, in some of those conventions or expos from back in the day or a photo set. You know, we would shoot a show and then make some of those exclusive photos available and that type of thing. Did you did you run that by the band before you did it? I, I asked those big questions um, through some of the people that I had been working with that were connected with the band. And so it was one of those things where unofficially, if the, at least my perception, uh, unofficially, if the balance was not out of whack in terms of that was not what you were leading with, um, you know, they if, seem to be... if you if you weren't buying a brand new house off of the money you made selling a Kiss T-shirt, you know right. they were fine. If all of a sudden you're you're flying to Hawaii because you're making so much money, you'd be like, uh-uh. Well, and I think even optically, if you were always leading with product, that would be a very very different thing than if you were reading with you know leading with um, the fan the fandom side of things. And I I. I remember the first in-depth interview I did with Gene, they were recording Revenge. And it was it was so cool because it was a conversation. And he stopped me pretty early on the interview and he just said, listen, you know, enough of this. Like, I want to know about you. Like, what what was it like? You know, did, did they tell you you were crazy for liking Kiss? And so he turned it around and we just had this great discussion. And then um, then he said, oh, you know, another Canadian just walked in. Do you want to talk to Bob Ezrin? You know, so for me, he was always super accessible and super cool. And at some point, you know, I had his his uh, his phone number and I could leave messages because uh, he was always doing that promoting with Simmons Records, et cetera. So I remember when House of Lords was when they broke House of Lords, um, I could just make a phone call and say, hey, I'm going to be at this show in Royal Oak, Michigan. Um, be great if you could set up uh, for Pat. And it was always honored and it was great. Um, because again, there was a lot of loyalty in there. You know, I, I, I'd been around for a while and I wasn't a fly by nighter and he liked well, yeah, that. He never, I, took it, he never took advantage of anything. That's the point. Right. And, and I didn't really know how that resonated with him beyond that. Um, because when they reunited, I just sort of dropped out of the scene. Um, because as all those licensing deals got put in place, I think it was Sony Signatures, um, yep. Michael, you'd know for sure. Um, basically, cease and desist out, uh, letters went out to all of 
uh, the fan, the right. fanzines and the fan what clubs. What was the infamous one? It was the Kiss Crazy in Australia. Do you remember when that? Because they printed their cease to cease and des- cease and desist, and I, I just remember like that was like bad news in the Kiss fan world. Like, oh yeah, oh everyone took that kind of stuff so personal. Yeah, you know? I was heartbroken. I, I yeah. really was heartbroken. Yeah, because you weren't you know. the only one. I, I, again, I was I was writing for a few and now now and the, the, they 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 told you. To stop selling merch, not stop the fanzine, right? Yeah, but you know it was funny because all of a sudden they didn't need the underground fan press right. because there was this huge machine. And so for me, I read it in Gene's voice. The band cannot differentiate between friend and foe in terms of our registered trademarks. You know, so I. And that's on me. That's not on Gene. That's not on the band. I understand everything that was happening now. But I think for me, there was this progression. And I always had hoped that, you know, I didn't imagine I would work for Kiss, but I imagined I would kind of use that as a springboard into the music business. And I was a musician. I still am. Um, So I thought that if I wasn't going to be on stage, I could be behind the scenes and that type of thing. And when that happened, it was it just it kind of that one hit me in the feels in such a way where it was kind of like now everybody is cashing in jumping on that bandwagon and i didn't feel um like like being part of that i kind of felt like if i showed up now it'll be like oh yeah you just want to you know get in on this action even though i had been there all along and so it, it was funny because that happened. Uh, they reunited. I was at the Tiger Stadium show. I mean, it was incredible. But there was really nothing fanzine or convention-wise once that happened because they really, at least in my opinion, they didn't need us. And I had to make a change. It was like overnight? Well, overnight. yeah, it, 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 it was. I mean, you know, prior to, to 96, even through the convention tour itself, they still needed all the fans. They still needed all the fanzines. Because they weren't getting mainstream press the way they needed to to stay alive. So the fans kept them alive. And they didn't have massive licensing deals with third-party companies. So it was not a big deal that you printed up a few T-shirts. 96 hits, and it's completely different. Now, all of a sudden, Entertainment Tonight wants to do a cover story on them. They don't need Kiss Exciter because Entertainment Tonight is here. And specifically to the to merchandise, and it sucks, but I all completely understand the reason why these other companies are paying Kiss now big money, yeah, five six figures in advance for the rights to do a T-shirt, for the rights to do a poster, a jigsaw puzzle, whatever it might be, and somebody producing an unofficial one is infringing on that company who just paid six figures for the right to do it. And that company goes back to the license holder and says, you got to stop this. It's, it's going to potentially impact our ability to sell the product, recoup the money we gave you and give you a percent of the sales. Yeah. So, you know, it sucks that it has to happen, but it has to happen. Yeah. And I, and I think what, what, you know, I didn't take offense to that side that kind of, to me, what it represented was the end of one era and the beginning of another. Yep. 
So, you know, I think about it now and I went on to some pretty cool things because I kind of knew that what I was doing had run its course. So much the same as parents that take their kid and they go to university and okay, you know, he's on his own now and he's good. I kind of felt like, okay, you know, not that they ever needed me, but they're in a good place. I can now kind of advance and get into the next thing. Now, for me, I thought that was going to be in the music business. And of course, I had made some really, really, really good connections. So for me, the very first thing I did in 97 was uh, put a band together and we recorded an album. And Dennis Wallach, who's a dear friend of mine to this day, did our cover. So, you know, again, for this kid in London who grew up idolizing these album covers, to have a chance to work with the guy that that designed those i mean that still to this day blows my mind and at that point you know i'm mid-20s and i've got a rehearsal studio um a demo studio i'm doing promotion and stuff like that for bands and i learned all of that through this process so that was really really kind of where i thought things would go and i thought okay i'm gonna work for sony or somebody when that album came out actually uh, it was pressed at Sony Music in Canada, not because we were signed. We were nowhere near being signed, but because I knew some people. So that album came out, and it said Sony Music Canada on the inside of the CD. And I have the, you know, in the back corner that you can't see, the sheet from the pre- the printing press that has Barbara Mandrell, Johnny Paycheck, Joe Satriani, and Firebox. Like, to me, that now, looking back, is like, who the hell did I think I was? And how cool is that? So... I got into technology after that and then uh, founded a tech startup and never really looked back on KISS because I was just busy doing my thing, starting a family, doing all the things you're supposed to do. Things that become Uh, more important than KISS. Right. And it it wasn't until 2009 when the call went out for the uh, Worldwide Fanzine Phenomenon book that I started feeling, well geez, you know, can I revisit this? Because I didn't like how it ended. Kind of was a bummer. Um, And the last time I saw anyone from the band, I think was the Skydome show on the second, uh, maybe it was, I don't know if it was Reunion or Lost Cities, Um, but I didn't even see Psycho Circus. Like, so for a guy that was into it as much as I was, to have a tour come and go and not even go, like you could really, really tell that I was holding on to some hurt there. Well, you uh, you know, and and what's interesting is because, you know, 95 is when I started getting that bug and doing stuff. And, you know, 95, it was still fanzines. But, you know, let's, let's remind people, when fanzines first started, they were not glossy. They were not magazine style at all. It was, as you said, quite often a black and white photocopy you know, folded in half. That was it. But at ninety in ninety five, I was like, "All right, I'm working." I was working in a uh, the ad department of a big company, and I had access to great technology, top of the line Max at the time, Cork Express layout. I had access to do high end printing. You know that. You know nowadays everybody's like, "Yeah, oh, it's not a big deal." Back then, it was like. $10,000 to get this high-end printer that printed in perfect quality. I could print to it. And I'm like, I'm going to do a Kiss fanzine. 
because sort of like you, I wanted to see what I could do to champion the band. That had always been there and gave me such great entertainment. But I quickly was like, shit, a fanzine. That's going to be expensive. Uh, you know, granted, I can lay it out and pro- uh, lay it out for no cost, but I still got to print it, and I still got to mail it, and I got to get subscriptions. I go, this is never going to work. I'm just going to lose money doing this, and that was right at the time the internet started, literally right. started. I mean, '95 is kind of when it first started. I'm like, wow, maybe I could build a website. That's a fanzine. And now people just come to me. I don't have to print anything and put any cost into it. They just come to me for it. So at that time that you were kind of getting disheartened by it, things were also just dramatically changing in the world when it came to printing, you know, yeah. and, and, and the Internet coming around. And, you know, my obviously everybody knows my backstory, you know, the internet, I built the website, the website led to me working with Kiss. But I remember the few fanzines that were still around during that time, because, okay, man, I can't, I can't remember when I did Kiss Otaku, did, did I do anything with Kiss Exciter? Probably not. I don't think so. I I, I remember, I remember working with Ron and Firehouse and, you know, like, hey, you know, send me your fanzine every month and I'll scan it in and I'll put it up on the website for free. I did that for, I don't know, maybe a half a dozen fanzines. But fanzines were now moving to the next level, almost like in order to stay competitive. That's when you got, like, I remember out of Canada, there was one called Kiss This. Yeah. You know. Same, same hometown, actually. Full size, full color, yeah. glossy, everything else. And... There was a ma- there was one out of the UK called Clown White, yeah. which was just, I mean that, that was regular magazine. That was regular magazine, and its and its design and its layout rivaled any major magazine out there. But the cost to do stuff like that was astronomical. I mean, I mean anybody who's done printing, you know, going from black and white to four color. It's pretty expensive. Going right. going to a glossy paper, even more expensive. Yeah. You know, and now you've got a larger size. You might have to spend more in postage now to mail it because it's, you know. Well, and just the time to put it together. Well, yeah. You know, I mean, you know and, and, month and or quarterly or whatever. You well, get. and ultimately, that's what was the death nail to fanzines is as they were getting fancier and nicer the internet was really exploding and me having my kiss otaku website you know i'm on the phone with mcgee's office all the time i'm getting the news and i'm putting it on the internet that day mm-hmm. now granted we don't have the amount of people on the internet like you do today but there was still it was exploding so fast that a fanzine could get that same news from doc mcgee that day but they've got to lay it out, print it, ship it, and it finally lands in the fans' hands three months from now. Right. That's way old news. I've already printed it three months earlier. So that really kind of put the death nail into fanzines and print magazines in general, as we know, is you know, now everything was instant. Yeah. Everything think, was instant. Yeah. When I look back on that, you know, the it evolved 
organically for me from a quarterly to a monthly to then that hotline. And then at that point, there wasn't any place to go. Um, so I pieced out. Then the internet stepped in and the world is as we know it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's sad because, you know, I've still got somewhere in my storage room, I've got a huge box of all these KISS fanzines that I got and collected. It's a great moment in history, and it served a great purpose when they were starting, like what you started. But, you know, technology especially just moved on, and you couldn't stay competitive with it. That's right. Now, you know, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what blew my mind was when Gene Simmons' Family Jewels came out. Uh, I started watching that show because I'd really been unplugged from Kiss. I hadn't seen them in years and years and years. And here he is in his home office, and lo and behold, on his magazine rack that spins, I see the stuff I did as a kid, and that blew my mind. You know, something that I created in this little town and sent to this magical PO box. It's still something that he has. He saved it. He touched it. He's displaying yeah. it. And and then as you know, the internet. So so when the call came out from Ken Sharp for the um, the fanzine phenomenon book, I it's funny. I had evolved now. I was in business. I didn't really want people to know about my music past because I thought somehow that would be a turnoff to my corporate clientele. You know, I wasn't comfortable enough in my own skin because I had moved on from that era. When I look back on that, I was a musician really, really hustling and doing this promo in my teens, then trying to do music seriously and, and some business in my 20s. And by that point, then I, you know, I'm in the tech world and I'm corporate clientele, et cetera. And I didn't I didn't know that I wanted to participate in it. And at the 11th hour, I called Ken and I just said, you know what, if you still if you'll still have me, I would be more than happy. Um, because it, it always bothered me that it ended the way that it did. And so I, I scanned everything up and I sent it to him and I can't tell you what that meant to walk into a chapters and pull this book out and see a full page and then see all the publications, you know, that I had done and, and, and some of those posters. And it was finally something to, you know, for me to celebrate and, and remember f fondly. Because uh, I didn't really maintain any of those relationships, Mark, as you would attest to. Um, and so, yeah, all of a sudden, um, here I am. And then, because the Internet's already out, I start hearing from people. Um, I start seeing my stuff on eBay and closing for some pretty interesting amounts. And people reaching out to me saying, you know, is there any way you can find me Dark Light Volume 2, Issue 3? Because that's the only one that I need, you know. And, and uh, to this day, I've met... Uh, People like um, Per Strid in, in Sweden, who again collects that, and I had to do a limited rerun of one just for a, you know for the collection. So that is the part now that's super cool, and you see people, you know, these limited run T-shirts where maybe there were twenty produced, um, they live on. I mean, I don't have that stuff, but it's out there. And that's super cool. And it turned out, of course, that all of my corporate clients thought it was the coolest story ever. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, 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 that's what I've learned over the years of working with them and since working with them. It's like people love it. Yeah. yeah. You know, the straight, straight cut people are like, kiss? Really? Kiss? 
because yeah. it's not this, you know, it's a whole different level of interest and excitement. Even if they're not big fans, it's still pretty cool to talk about it. You did what? You met them? You know, it's like, yeah, it, it, you know, you can see some people are like living their dream through you sharing your story. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, to this day now, um, on a whim in, in 2018, I drove out to Indianapolis because I just hadn't been part of that KISS culture, that fandom for so long. And I, I had taken my uh, my kids to some of the shows and Gene was always really, really, I, you know, my son, when he was little, I, I built him a dynasty costume. I had him on my shoulders and Gene would point at, point him out and interact with him. And then he'd end up on the Jumbotron. So there was fun stuff like that. But nothing on the inner kind of, you know, uh, the inner circle. I was just as a fan, which was cool. Um, but when I drove to Indy, all of a sudden, you know, here comes Mark. And Mark said, where the hell have you been? <laughs> and, and it was funny because you were there for, what, maybe 12 hours and then you were out? Yeah, we just we flew them. in and flew out. Yeah. yeah. So, so that was really cool because then I started, you know, reconnecting with some of these people. And I see Mark Slaughter, and I hadn't talked to Mark for so long. But, but again, as a springboard, like I'm the guy that shot that crazy all systems go bootleg video from Rock and Roll Heaven in Toronto at 17. You know, and that that's a video that's out there. And I mean, a, a copy I apparently got stolen, and that's how it got leaked because I have the master. Um, when I was even before that, you know, I was. 16 years old i was a rock soldier in in the rock soldiers video i mean that when i look back on it now there have been so many cool things and so many cool people and to be able to relive some of that stuff now that's what indie was for me um and i took i've had since that rock soldiers video shoot i've had a piece of the stage because it was spray painted almost like balsa wood spray painted like space and it was the face of the stage and when the video was over a bunch of guys rushed the stage and kind of pulled some of it apart. So I have this piece of stage that I've had for 30 years and I took it to Indy and then I had that meet and greet with Ace and, and uh, you know, the guys from Fraley's Comet and they were just like, everybody signed it. And so it's been very, very cool to get back into that and go, wow, you know, this is an awesome, awesome community. And, uh, and I missed it. It was fun. Well, the nice thing is you can just jump back in and reconnect with Mark and other people that you've been friends with for years and that everyone's still there and supportive because everyone comes and goes, I think, at certain points in their life. It just happens. Right. So did you have later on through what you were talking about here that, you know, the post the end of your fanzines, did you ever have further contact with <laughs> Gene or Paul? No, not at all. No, it was just, it was weird. It was kind of like what Mark described. I was there for one day, and then the next day, that was it. I was just gone. It wasn't just you, though. It was everybody. Yeah. The, the whole fanzine world, like, fell apart all at one time. And and, and, and I tell you what, I, I, don't, I don't lay that on Gene and Paul. Look, they went from putting on their own little expos to playing Tiger Stadium and stadiums and arenas around the world. You, 
how many people I saw some people trying to start fanzines in that time period. And I can't think of one that lasted more than a couple of, um, you know, uh, issues, if that, because I think some of these fans only wanted it for the wrong reasons. They just, okay, this is my in, you know, I'm going to be, whereas when we started getting into all this, there wasn't any, it was like, we were filling a void. It's funny. I, I'm, I got, again, just like you at, I got, this is my video catalog from, from 99. Um, I sent these things all over the world. And I used to put, I do all my, all my stuff that I was trading and selling. And then I'd put like two or three pages. Mine was like almost like a mini fancy because then I'd put the tour dates, you know, my, the latest kiss news. And I'll never forget Andre coming up. Andre's one was kiss's bodyguard. And he was walking to all the tables and he was picking them up. And I looked at him and he knew who I was. And we had some mutual friends. And he goes, and I go, am I getting in trouble? He's like, no, they like you. They know you're a fan. Don't worry about it. And I'm it's exactly as matter of fact as he put it. You know, he, yes, was I true. Much like you said earlier, uh, Greg, they knew I wasn't, you know what I mean? They, they knew, yes, I was selling you know, bootlegs and stuff and, 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 and all, but I was also promoting the band. I, you know, this, and I wasn't selling, you know, everything from Grateful Dead. It was just, I was a kid, geeky Kiss fan and they were cool. Matter of fact, and I've got pictures of, uh, of this too. During the 95 official conventions, I was selling videotapes, Kiss bootleg videos at my table. Um, you know, no one said a word. You know what I mean? It's like, wow. like you were saying earlier, they were just happy to have you. You know, what uh, you I, mean? know I, I think they, they knew like if your heart was in it before your wallet, right, then it's not even like they were looking the other way. Uh, they were very receptive. And, and um, some of those, you know, there have been some pretty cool moments where, you know, Gene has been very upfront about that. And and him doing a fanzine as a young guy, and you know, wanting to know what that fan experience is like. He gets it. Yeah. Well, I, I'll tell you, I actually said that to him. Um, this is probably around '09. We had uh, lunch in Chicago. We were talking about these and, uh, and, uh, and and I said to him, I said, you know, because he was talking about the whole bootleg thing and blah blah blah. I said, you know, Gene, I know you did horror movie ones when you were a kid and you loved them and you you this wasn't a source of anything other than passion. I said, if you were able to get video of Lon Chaney making himself up in his dressing room, you know what I mean, to become the Phantom of the Opera, and you were able to trade that footage with your fellow fanzine, don't tell me you wouldn't have done that course you would and you would have thought it was the coolest freaking thing in the world and i'm like i'm no different you know what i mean i'm happy that i can i've got a soundboard from the you know university stadium in toronto you know what i mean it I, that's that's i'm just as nutty about that as you are you would have been from you know launch getting some unreleased lon cheney footage i mean what's the difference we're both geeky fans and, you know, we have a passion for something and you just want to share that passion with your fellow, 
your fellow geeks. Right. <laughs> and when I say that we're geek guilty, man, you know, I, you know, I, you're you're 100 percent right. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, Gene and Paul, they're they're fans and they they love the fans and they love what what the fans do. It's, you know, fortunate, unfortunate, depending on your point of view, that they became so big in 96 and onward because it put them into a position of sometimes they had to make decisions that they wouldn't normally make because business-wise, somebody else has the legal rights to force them to make that decision. You know, you stop selling bootlegs because... VH1 is going to be releasing all of this classic old stuff on Kissology, you could be inter interfering with their ability to make money after spending millions of dollars to do this officially. So, you know, and Kiss couldn't, and that's the thing, and this isn't just Kiss, it's anybody. They couldn't say, oh, you know what? Go after everybody, but leave Mark alone. Right. That's not how that's it works. When you go after... You go after everybody. Everybody's got to stop. I'm not saying somebody wouldn't be made an example more than somebody else, but you're all stopping because you all have to do it because legally you're all doing it illegal. So it was, it's a tough situation like Gene for them. said that to me. Gene said, like, don't do this anymore. And I, and I, I'm, I haven't, you know, from that day forward, I never have because he asked me not to. So, there you go. Yeah. Yep. But we were just talking about just the joy of how it makes you feel. You know, he basically asked me, you know, how did how did you get into this? How, you know what I mean? Why do you do it? That because you know, Mark said to get laid. No, I what to, to collect his stuff? Trust me, that's the antithesis. <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I you know, I. I had a good have a good career and all this I wasn't doing kiss bootlegs because it was you know making me a millionaire and honestly too it was I that's the reason I started filming not because it's easy and it was fun it sucked I hated it you couldn't enjoy the show as a pain in the ass but if I had masters I could trade for other masters and it, if I shot multiple shows, then I could trade my masters for multiple shows. I just, that's the whole reason why I started doing all that. I, I wanted the best available copies for myself. And people who bought from me were just, they were get, reaping the rewards of my, you know, going out and getting it. You know what I mean? Well, and so. Also, too, when you had a master copy of something, you could get to the person who has a master of something else that you want yeah. because then you're on equal ground. That's the key to the whole thing. They won't dumb it down for you. They'll give you a first-generation copy right off of their master because you're doing the exact same thing for them in return. Yeah, correct. And again, anybody, it sucked doing that. There wasn't even a little bit of fun doing it. It fucking blew. I hated it. But it was either that or, <laughs> you know, you're stuck getting fourth generation stuff from people. I just wanted to work a little bit harder and get, get better stuff for myself as a fan. Uh, anyways, we're going to, we got to, we got to wrap things up here a little bit. Uh, Greg, 
uh, A, you're a great friend, and I just want to say thank you for, um, you know, joining us here. You're welcome back anytime. And uh, as we say to all of our guests, anything you want to plug or anything you want to talk about really quick or before we wrap things up here? Well, first of all, thanks so much. It was great to relive a lot of these uh, these stories that are living in the fondest places in my heart. Um, I don't really have anything to plug. Uh, I do think at some point I'll, I'll launch a website that has audio of these interviews that no one's ever heard before because I really do believe that it was a different version of the band back at that time. And so um, very few of them were published. And if they were published, I don't think the full interviews were. And I don't think, you know, it ever really reached that many people. So I'm looking at potentially doing a project of that stuff, serving more really as an archive for my um, that that body of stuff. But it's funny every time I find uh, when, uh, every time I find another digitize our resource to digitize, uh, it just brings back all these memories. I came across uh, telephone interviews that I did with James Christian and uh, Chuck Wright from House of Lords at the time, and I mean Chuck is still a very busy musician, and it, it was funny. I was asking them to do plugs for the local new uh the local rock station which i was not affiliated with like <laughs> i have no idea where where that came from but in terms of plugging at some point you know i'd love to to come back and, and continue our discussion and at that point you know maybe share that but but i do want to give some shout outs uh to the people that were involved i mean the you know the people that were on the the street team for kiss exciter for dark light that would never ever pause at the opportunity to hand out flyers at the shows that we were going to um gary pullen is a guy who did a lot of really really cool artwork and now he is a professional artist who is on the uh the the circuit for horror art he just who, who um, did the bart simpson because that was the first time that bart simmons that the very first time i'd ever seen that was an exciter yeah yeah so that's gary it was and then that thing was copied a billion times so yeah. I, I thought that was him. I thought he did the original drawing for that. You yeah, guys have it, all seen the the Bart Simmons yep. with uh, that. That I'm just telling you, that was the first place it was ever, at least I've ever seen it, was back in the day in Exciter. That's awesome. Yeah. So so Gary is a guy who I have not spent a lot of time reconnecting with. We are connected. But he went on to some really, really awesome things doing what he loved. And you know what? He was drawing stuff in Exciter, in Dark Light, and, uh, you know, he, he's just one of those guys. Patrick is another guy. Patrick um, collaborated with me on a lot of the Exciter stuff and then went on to do, to do his own conventions in Montreal. And Mark St. John was a guest. Uh, Bill LaCoyne was, was a guest. I had the pleasure of having dinner with Bill um, in Montreal in the old city. So it has brought not only, you know, lots of people together, but it's launched people's professional lives and their passion lives, um, which is fantastic. I mean, and that to me is the essence of what KISS has always been about. And, you know, follow those dreams, do do what you got to do. Um, I think I had my first drink of alcohol when I was 24 or 23, because if, if Gene didn't need it, you know, then I could be a workaholic. And I did. I, you know, I worked three jobs and I, and I did these things um, because of that influence. So what a great thing, you know, it's just, it's awesome to be into a band that is so much more than skin deep. And so, you know, to be so visually oriented and yet have so much going on beyond that, that visual, um, is I think why people are still around, why the band is still around and why, you know, 
we probably all give our heads a shake to go, how can it be 30 years ago that that came out or, or that? And I'm sure we all do the same thing. You know, our timeline is a KISS timeline. Have you, Greg, have you ever considered um, scanning and digitizing all the old issues and just putting them up online so people can relive them? Yeah, for sure. It's on my radar. I'm still putting feelers out to try and get a lot of the stuff that I don't have because um, I don't have a full set, which is which is interesting. And um, so, yeah, I, I'm probably going to what I'll what I'll do to start is launch an, an upload uh, resource site where people can just contribute scans. Uh, and there are some um, former members of of the clubs that have got stuff still and have been great about providing that or sending me photos of some of the t-shirts and stuff like that so so yeah for sure that would be uh, i think that'd be a really really nice way to be able to celebrate it and let other people kind of know what that era was all about yeah and and also just ensure that it lives on forever now right yeah and, and we'll share the links and all of that when you get everything kind of sorted out so you know just let us know Cool. We're happy to help out any way we can. Appreciate that. Greg, this was this was awesome. I love hearing hearing the stories from fans who just followed their passion for KISS and it, you know, led to dreams coming true. Well thanks. I was uh I enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you, man. Thanks. Thanks again. Loving every minute. See it's a Canadian thing. Whatever. <laughs> all right greg thank you again thanks man all right so i'm thinking homework for this week guys needs to be something related to his fanzines i guess that's the first obvious well and then also too do you if do you have you collected those posters as well by that company you know which one is your favorite yeah. Do you have oh, any of the campus was campus craft incredible. posters? Do you have any issues of Dark Light or Exciter? What or do you remember? Did, did you subscribe to a fanzine? Yeah, and, you, it, yeah. and if you didn't have his specifically, what was your favorite Kiss fanzine? If if you were around during yeah. that era, what was your favorite one? Yeah. Let me tell you, I, th I thought. Don't get me wrong. I, there was a ton of great ones, but I thought, and, and, and even Greg brought it up. Ron's was fantastic. The Firehouse. Yep, that was uh, that was one of the better ones, and uh, Kiss Crazy out of the UK. I think it was UK was a good one. Um, Nico, yes, well, Strike, uh, and he's going to be a he's going to he's going to be a guest, I think, in a couple weeks. Yes, that's one I'm really looking forward to. I, I you know, I have such a soft spot for people like like Nico and and Alex from Germany because. These were like the first foreign kiss. They loved kiss so much. They flew into New York city just to go to the expo. Yep. And that's where I met those again, no different than, than Greg or, you know, all the, every, all the other Russell and Keith and all the other kiss crazies. I mean, that was ground zero for us. You know what I mean? That's where you were meeting the, the, the you know, the, the craziest of crazy kiss fans and, God, you know, our lives are just so much better for it, you know, and I, I just, I don't know, just thinking about those guys always makes me happy. You know, I, I, uh, I, I probably in communication with text or something from Alex at, at least once or twice a week. And, now, now you know, just so we can understand the level of happiness, is it up there with a plate of crab legs? Oh, actually way, way more than that. And I wow. love crab legs. 
I love my friends more. No, but, I, really, they just enrich your life with with everything. And you know, Shameless has got some new music coming out, and and and, uh, and, and he's you know, got he's Alex got his DeLorean me, book that's done. Yeah, and and Alex, you know, was was sending me stuff like, hey, you know, I love the fact that he he trusts me enough. Like, do you think this would be a good thing to use as a promo? Yeah. Or, that's yeah. awesome, man. And let me tell you, a phenomenal it's musician. Awesome. Yeah, great guy. Certainly go support Shameless. And, and he put it together in like six months. I was waiting for that, Tommy. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, seriously, 500 plus pages. With hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You see that? What is it? Liz. What did it say from Liz? It turned off. Oh. Dinner ready? You want me to heat up your wings or wait for a bit? <laughs> Why don't you say heat them up and bring them down here, baby? Uh, I'll just tell her. Well, hold on. What time is it? It's what's what quarter to quarter to eight. Tell her fifteen minutes. Yeah, we'll we'll we'll, 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 we'll we'll get you out of here in fifteen minutes, Mark. All right, I'm gonna put that. <laughs> I'm gonna add, I'm gonna say heat them up. Be I'll be up there by the top of the hour. <laughs> I just love the well, fact that we that, that we, get, we we we've got to work around Mark's eating schedule every freaking week. It's, it's amazing. Oh, well, and then also to Alex's wife Anna, she's in a, a band called Blue Ruin, it's all yep. girl band. They're yep. very good too. So not only do you have new Shameless music coming your way soon, Blue Ruin's doing stuff as well, and the DeLorean book. So for those of you that are interested in classic cars and reading a story about this, is to me is like Tucker. You know, another one of those people, uh, John DeLorean, who who releases the coolest car back in the what late 70s, early 80s, which was featured in Back to the Future. And Alex bought all of the photos from, I don't know, he's, show, he's shown me so much stuff I can't keep up, but another cool book coming out. So you should support and, him. And, if you and, and this is where that whole Kiss fan thing and, and getting to be good friends, because Alex bought so much stuff, you know, from different you know ebay and around all over the place he's like could you do me a favor mark he goes can i ship everything to your house i literally had a room filled with delorean stuff and boxes he goes it's just a whole lot cheaper if you'd ship everything at one time so i'm gonna i'm gonna send all the stuff i just bought from around the united states it's cheaper for them to send it to detroit and then can you just send me when everything gets to your house let me know and then I'll, can you just ship it to Germany in one package? And that's what I did. And and that's because he's my buddy. You know what I mean? And and that's, yeah. that, that's you know, no different. I, I remember my friend Darren, I needed a, a, a UK tour book. And I want to say it was for Donington or whatever. I'm like, yeah, no problem. I'll get you one. You know, and that's, guys, we've made just such incredible friends doing this. You know what I mean? And it's. It's just cool. And that's another great thing about doing this show. We get to connect with everybody every week. So, anyways, uh, you know, the clock is. All right. Is so, you, you, you guys know what your homework is for this week. Um, you can go to anywhere of our social media networks Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Leave your comments, leave your answers. And, uh, of course, if you're watching us on YouTube, it would mean a lot to hit that red subscribe button. If you're on Spotify, follow us. And if you're on iTunes, subscribe and leave a review and a rating. It means a lot to all of us, including the lovely Lisa, who wasn't here this week. Um, but uh, that's it. 
Three sides of the coin. We're out of here. Till next week. the show go to itunes.threesidesofthecoin.com and leave your review and rating of three sides of the coin thanks download your free free copy of the kiss school of marketing 11 lessons i learned working with kiss the number one downloaded business book on noise trade go to books.noisetrade.com slash michael brandvold You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. So you love the show. Go to itunes.threesidesofthecoin.com and leave your review and rating of Three Sides of the Coin. Thanks. Thanks.